So the text John just read you is from Exodus 17, starting at verse 1 through 7. So if you'd like to reference that yourself or read through it, please go ahead. Let me just pray to open, and then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you that you meet us wherever we're at. If it's in the successful, comfort, comfortable places of our life, or if it's in the deserts, uh, the barren places of our life. So Father, please, this morning, meet with us as we look at this text and remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness and your power to provide, even in the midst of this global pandemic. Thank you for each person who's listening, each person who's joining. Uh, Would your words enrich us? Amen. I wonder to start, have you ever had a minute or a day or even more shockingly, a week of your life when you knew that everything was finally and ultimately going to be okay? When you had no needs, no concerns, no pressing anxieties that took you away from a sense of comfort and hope? Most of us haven't experienced that, especially for the long duration of a whole day or a whole month. But if you've ever experienced it, it's amazing, it's liberating, it's, it's exciting. I've had a few moments in my life, but they've seemed just moments that get swept away pretty quickly of other worries and concerns I have. So I want to look this morning at, it's kind of a large chunk of scripture, but um, it's from kind of Exodus 15, really all the way into Exodus 17. Um, and and how God is connecting with his people and building new relationships with them. I want to first look back and look at Israel's complaining in the wilderness, their desire both for food and for water. I want to look at God's lesson in parenting us and leading us in the midst of the wilderness as he does with the Israelite people. And I want to look also at the hope we have in Jesus the freedom we have from death and sin, and also the provision we have in him. So let me just note before I jump in first that slavery is actually a technique that leads to dependence, and it always destroys the person. So maybe you want to write that down. Slavery is a technique that leads to dependence and always destroys the person. And second, the fatherhood of God destroys slavery. And it restores the person to their proper relationship. Just keep those as side notes through the sermon. First, I want to talk about the consistency of Israel's complaint and grumbling. Last time we were in Exodus, John preached about Exodus 15 and the song of deliverance. Um, And here's one line from it. You have led your You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That's chapter 15, verse 13. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And yet, three days later, the people encounter the reality of their dependence, a moment of biological limitation, of want and need. And the song of deliverance, although filled with correct theology, is confronted with their own limitations and hunger and thirst. And so this is what they say. They complain that the water available is poison. They say, um, 
And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And then later in Exodus 13, and the text says, 15 days after the second month after they had departed from Egypt, the people said, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill us, or to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here's another complaint from the people. More extreme, why didn't you just kill us, not just bring us out of slavery into something, but they'd rather have death. And the Lord makes a response, we'll cover a little bit more about that later. But he says, he calls the whole congregation to come before him and says he'll provide a way. He responds well to their... Sorry, something came up on the screen. He responds well to their complaint. And here again, Exodus 17. And they arrived at Rephidim, and there wasn't any water there either. And so again they complain, and this is the most kind of brutal and crushing complaint yet. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? And our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? That's in Exodus 17, 2 to 4. The text we read this morning. It escalates. There's not an escalation of faithfulness or trust toward the Lord. There is an escalation in complaint. But now it's to kill us, our children, and our livestock. I don't know how you're greeted in the morning if you have kids in your house or, you know, if you have a partner a husband or a wife in your house. Maybe maybe you're greeted, ah, oh, good morning, mother and father, a nice, cheery, happy greeting. Maybe you're treated with, oh boy, or treated, greeted with, oh boy, I sure love you. Or maybe a nice hug, or maybe just a quiet acceptance that you're there. Or does your morning begin with complaint or a whining voice saying something to the extent of, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I have needs. They need to be met. If that's something that you're used to or not used to, it's something like what the Israelites are doing here. Almost every new moment they have to depend on God, they complain. At least what we're given in this chunk of scripture. Every moment where we see this relationship developing. It's one of complaint and blaming. I mean, you imagine it, put yourself in the same place, having been rescued from this oppressive force in Egypt, to be in the wilderness, then depending on God, and then to have hunger and thirst. How would you respond? Would it be with patience and long-suffering or complaint that you had a need to be met? That's part one, the consistency of the people's complaining. How does God respond? I love this. It seems crazy, though, doesn't it, the way these people respond? 
But I think we might do the same thing as the Israelites did. We'd recognize our need and complain that it were not being met. It's the meeting of our theology and our experience or our biography. It's when what we believe doesn't exactly line up with our experience of the world. In light of unknown circumstances of wandering with God in the desert, the pragmatic and dependable relationship of slavery might prove better, a better alternative, and a more desirable position. And we see that. The people just don't understand. They're wandering around in the desert. There's nothing really they can do. And they don't have the basic things that they might have even had in Egypt. But here's the difference. And here's what I want to explore in this section of of how invasive the technique of slavery can become to Israel and to ourselves. Pharaoh expected and demanded of the people hard labor. Not a love relationship, not intimacy, not trust, just hard work. He demanded their time, their energy, their wealth, their stuff, and their attention. Here's a simple explanation of the technique of slavery. Do a lot and get a little. Do a lot of something, get a little in return. Maybe just enough to get by. There's a few examples for us to consider really quick. We spend our energies considering or pursuing a job. We get a job. We save carefully to ensure we have enough money to go consistently, maybe yearly away on vacations. What we get a little reprieve and break from the things that annoy us. We spend our money to buy nice things. For the first few days, it feels like the coolest thing ever. Whenever I get a new shirt or a new hat, I'm like, yeah, this is so cool. And then about a week later, it becomes part of my outfits, and it's not quite as exciting. Uh, we spend our attention lustfully. We lust after something, someone, and we get some perhaps momentary escape from what we face or some sense of belonging or acceptance. We spend hours and hours studying for a final exam or to pass our courses. and In the end, we get a letter grade and perhaps finally we get a degree. Now, many of these things aren't bad. They're good. Uh, it's good to pursue a job. It's good to take times away. It's, it's good to work hard in school. Obviously, some of them aren't that good. Or we, here's another one, we use our intellect to control and manipulate people. And what we get is a sense of control um, and self-confidence, maybe. And so these are different things that, although some being good, some not so good, if they become the central aspect of our life and we devote ourselves to them, they have control of us. We are enslaved to them. The Israelites were in the same position to Pharaoh. They worked hard every single day. And in return, they received a little. They received enough to get by. Probably not meat pots overflowing with food or all kinds of sweet delicacies, but enough to survive. More than they had in the hunger of the wilderness and in the thirst of the wilderness. But God has rescued and delivered his people, as the song of deliverance is affirmed. But he is doing more than that. And he's doing more than that in our own lives. See, God is not actually fundamentally, as you know, concerned with your work, your stuff, your intellect, your attention. 
but he's more concerned with your trust. He's more concerned with being in relationship to yourself. So the people of Israel have been brought out of a position of slavery and now been brought into a position of covenant. So the name, the title of this sermon series we've, we finished today is From Captivity to Covenant. So the people of Israel now have to learn what it means to not run back to slavery, but live into the new covenant life. And so what on earth is God doing in the desert? He is destroying the basis of slavery in the hearts of the Israelite people. Have you ever asked yourself about this text? Why did God let them get hungry? Why did God let them get thirsty? Do you really not ever question that? That the God who has sovereign knowledge of our own desires and our own needs and of the geography of the world would lead the people through the dry desert wasteland where they run into poisonous water, places with no water. Why is he doing that? Here's my suggestion to you this morning and the thing that maybe most hit me in preparing this text. The Lord is destroying the false dependencies and connections between slavery, that is the people of Israel who are the slaves, and the master, that is Egypt, and whatever we are enslaved to. There's a philosopher named Hegel. I won't spend much time here, so don't, don't let me lose you. But he developed this idea of the master and slave dialect. And what he concluded is that the master totally defines who the slave is, ignores their interests, props up the interest of himself, and denies their identity. As I mentioned at the beginning, slavery is a technique that dehumanizes and disempowers and destroys the person. But it creates a false sense of dependency. So God in the desert is exposing his people to hunger and thirst to create a different basis of relationship, namely a covenantal relationship. God is reforming their identity as children, sons, and daughters. I'd like to read you really briefly a text from Jacques Alion. It's about technique. He says, the technique of magic is a mediator between man and the higher powers, just as other techniques mediate between man and matter. It leads to efficiency because it subordinates the power of the gods to humanity and secures a predetermined result. What that means is this, that slavery of the Israelites and any slavery that we're in bondage to, it at least gives us some sense of power and a predetermined result. What God is doing is to break our sense of power and our sense of control and our sense of a predetermined result by asking us to trust him, even when we're hungry and feel limited. I'm really struck by that. God is reforming our hearts by causing us to be hungry, by causing us to be thirsty, by causing us to have need. And he knows and he understands that our chief need is not for stuff, it's not for material, it's not for even food or water, but for himself. <clears throat> so I want to look briefly at these two verses from Exodus. I just want to read them to you. I want them to kind of sink into our hearts and mind too. In verse 16, verse, or chapter 16, verse 10 to 12, we read, 
And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation about what God would do to the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And then Exodus 17, verse 5, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. These two texts emphasize that what God is doing is not just giving them food or water to satisfy a physical hunger or thirst. But what he's doing is saying, I will be present with you. In all the plagues of Egypt, God was not present, but mediated his power through Moses. Here, God enters in to be present with his people. I asked you earlier how you're greeted in the morning. I'm often greeted with these exact words. I'm hungry. That's it. And what I try to do is reform the way that question is asked, or that demand is initiated, or the demand is made. I say, try again. And the kids will say, uh, may I please have some food? And I think, yeah, okay. You said it right, I'll get you food. The other morning I sat down with the kids and I just decided, hey, listen, I just want to connect with you. I just want to hear where you're at. And so we sat on the couch together for 20 minutes and we just talked about what we dreamed about. We talked about how we were doing, how we were feeling. And that time passed and and they didn't complain about being hungry. In fact, one of them wouldn't even let me up off of the couch. And what I recognized in that moment is we actually genuinely hunger and thirst for food, but more deeply than that, we hunger and thirst for connection. And that's what God is wrecking. That's what God knows about us. And so in the wilderness, he seeks to demonstrate to his people that he is going to be with them. Hold on here. And so God is breaking down this technique of slavery by which the people came to depend that if they do a lot of work, they'll get a little bit. He's saying, I'm going to be with you here, even in the wilderness. And so what is the hope for us in the church today in the midst of our present pandemic, our present crisis? Do you remember the words of Jesus in John's gospel? We've studied it a lot and we've studied it often. John 5, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. The people ask, what more must we do? And Jesus replies, believe in him who he has sent. Here we are talking about work again, the work of the Christian life, your work right now, in whatever situation you find yourself in, in whatever your need is, is to believe in Jesus There's no other work that matters. You don't have to work hard and give all your attention, all your money, all your resources over. You just have to give your trust to believing in the Son. And and then later in the, um, or later in that text, 
of John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then John 7, Jesus speaking of the spirit in the temple and himself says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, on his and her heart will flow, or out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Remember what Isaiah says in chapter 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Salvation has two parts. Salvation has the aspect of deliverance, of the destroying and the overcoming of the enemy, of the accuser of Egypt, of sin and death. But salvation also has the substantive, providential provision of God that sustains us through the desert into the garden. Jesus was crucified and was resurrected and, and, is, and 40 days later ascended. The freedom of Easter won for us is not only the overcoming and the deliverance from sin and death, but also God's declaration to us, God's promise to us as his children that he will provide for us. That he does not want our skills, our energies, our limited resources. He wants our trust so that we could receive from him his infinite resources. I honestly don't know what you need right now. If you need more time with him and less time with others, if your house is a house full of people who sometimes you find hard to love, or if your house is, it just seems like you're trapped and you're alone. But whatever it is you need, God knows. And in the hunger and thirst you may experience, know he might well just be teaching you to depend on him, to trust him more fully. Hunger and thirst are not bad things. If you know where your next meal is coming from, or if you are secure in the right source. And so this morning, my prayer for you is simply this, um, and profoundly this. Would you know Jesus as your source of salvation, as your savior, and not just know him with the right theology, but with the right experience? That even if you experience limitation, suffering, hunger, uh, you know, poverty, struggle, hunger, thirst, pain, loss, this could be a big season of loss. And maybe in some way for you it has been. Would even in the midst of that you be able to mourn out, cry, uh, ask our Father for help? Would you be so securely rooted that the feeling I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, the feeling of just perfect contentment, knowing that everything is taken care of, would characterize the rest of this pandemic and beyond? That you would just be so influenced by God's secure love for you and his providential care. So let me just pray for you. Uh, and I miss being with you. I really do. Um, Father God, thank you that there are times where we may hunger and thirst. And that those times when we hunger and thirst are times when we are learning a new way of being. Where what is being destroyed in us is the dependence on a slave and master um, relationship. Where, this, where the master dominates our desires. 
God, we're being freed from the things that enslave us. And as we end this series in Exodus, Father, I just pray that we would be so secure in your love that even when we're hungry and thirsty and we have these real needs, we would know that everything we have comes from you and you're a good father and you want to give us the resources, the abundance of heaven, even when we feel so limited. So Father, please just right now by your spirit, bless each person with a sense that they will never thirst again. They will never be hungry again because they have received your living water and your eternal living bread. Thank you. Bless you.